This is Smarter Cars, a podcast about autonomous vehicles. This is the finish line. The Stanford Racing Team has made its way into the history books. But the most important thing for me is, uh, it actually doesn't matter who comes first. It matters that we as a, as a community achieve it. Early in a technology, uh, a thousand flowers should bloom. Welcome back to season two of Smarter Cars. This is your host, Michelle Kairouz. Today we're talking about autonomous trucking with Robert Brown, Director of Public Affairs at Too Simple, a San Diego-based autonomous trucking company. We'll discuss Too Simple's technology, their current operations, hauling freight for customers in Arizona, and then we'll discuss some of the policy issues facing the autonomous trucking industry. Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. For those who don't know, can you start by telling us about Too Simple and what the company's doing? Yeah, happy to. Uh, Too Simple is a three-year-old company. Uh, We're based in San Diego, um, and we're a self-driving truck company. Uh, All the fun stuff, all the trucks that are driving autonomously are out in uh, Tucson, Arizona, uh, but our headquarters here is here in San Diego, um, and uh, we've been at it, like I said, for three years. Um, we, we use Peterbilt uh, and Navistar trucks, uh, retrofitted, of course, with our technology, and uh, we're hauling routes um, on a daily basis in and around Arizona. And uh, part of our news this year is that we're starting to route to Texas, so we're really excited about that. Terrific. Let, let's talk about the, the trucks. You mentioned um, Peterbilt and Navistar um, are you providing the entire sensor suite and kind of doing that retrofit with the sensors and the software? Well, software is definitely our secret sauce um, by far. Uh, but we work with Tier 1. Uh, we're a camera-centric solution. Um, that's you know where our founding uh, is based in with uh, Dr. Shouty Ho um, out of uh, Caltech. His PhD was in computer vision. And, uh, you know, using cameras is, we feel, is, is a strong use case, the strongest use case, uh, especially for heavy-duty trucks due to the unique distance and, and the type of driving they do. Um, you know, we feel, you know, you kind of cameras, cameras is the way to go. We do have LiDAR and radar, but they're secondary sensors. Uh, but, you know, that really powers our perception system, uh, which we, we reach up to 1,000 meters uh, perception. Is our is our camera solution, and we work with um, you know tier one uh, camera providers uh, that provide uh, provide our cameras, but all of our software, the full, full stack, is done in house. Great. So you mentioned uh, you're kind of a camera forward uh, company. You do have lidar um, on your trucks. Um, tell us a little bit more about why. Uh, your system is relying more on cameras than LIDAR. Yeah, happy to. So LIDAR, um, you know, not to get into the, the hardware wars, but I'm sure your audience always you know, would appreciate this, the kind of LIDAR versus camera argument. Um, LIDAR is a great sensor, and especially for our friends that are trying to automate passenger vehicles with the robo-taxis, you know, vehicles that are geofenced moving in relative slow speeds, um, around dense urban areas, LIDAR is great because it's, you know, it's a dense a lot, a lot about information that you can receive uh, quickly and, uh, and relatively efficiently. Uh, for trucks, um, our operational design domain is that long stretch of highways on Highway 10. 
Um, and so we, and, uh, just to educate your folks, if they're not familiar with the driving needs of a truck, a fully loaded, um, 18 wheeler takes about, you know, a hundred meters to stop. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a football field. Um, and so, you know, we found, you know, testing LIDARs as a, as your primary perception in, and going 65 miles an hour down the road, you're not going to get a great rate of return once you get over that 100-meter mark. And so every decision is almost basically kind of like an emergency decision. So Shouty, from the very beginning of this, our company, you know, his belief in cameras, and, you know, it took a little longer uh, because of just the, you know, the amount of computation you need to do and, and the software training. But, it, you know, the cameras allow, you know, that 1,000 meters. So we have long, short, and medium. And then, you know, rear-facing cameras. So you still get the 360-degree view around it but it's you know seen more as almost like you when you drive in the truck and when you, and you see our demos it's like it's like the a human you know seeing the world around it you know they and they teach um, uh, human truck drivers to try to look 15 seconds into your future and um going 65 miles an hour down the road being able to see a thousand meters as long as it's not occluded obviously or going around curves you know, it gives you 30 seconds you know so it really increases safety and also uh, efficiency. You know, our, our truck can make dynamic lane change based on traffic patterns, or if there's a disabled vehicle uh, on the shoulder. You know, so really, you know, when you touch your brakes on a heavy duty and you lose momentum, it's terrible for fuel efficiency and just in general. So, you know, the more you can see and understand around the truck, the safer it is and the more efficient and the more human it is. So. That's interesting. Um, how do you... Uh, prioritize the data from the camera versus the LiDAR? I know there's sort of sensor fusion that goes on and algorithms typically pull yeah. this data together. How is it that the, uh, I assume the LiDARs are running when you're on the freeway. How do they, uh, how does your algorithm kind of weigh those? Inputs? Yeah. Yeah, the, so we rely primarily on LiDAR when we're on the highway as a secondary sensor to, to check lanes when we're changing lanes because it's a, that's a great application for it because it's near, near the truck and, you know, big trucks, you know, people, are not just, uh, not just, uh, autonomous trucks, but when you ride it, you, I'm sure if you get a trucker on your podcast, you, you understand how bad a, a passenger car drivers treat trucks, you know, always cutting them off, you know, using them, as, you know, tailgating them and all that kind of stuff. So we use the LIDAR as just like as a, in near and around, and then also one thing I forgot to mention is that you need to do simple is we do do lo some local driving. So our business model is distribution center to distribution center along and near the highway. But those distribu distribution centers are kind of the industrial parks that are already located near the highway. So we're not that driving in dense urban areas, uh, but we are doing some local driving. And again, as I mentioned previously, you know, LIDAR is a great, great tool for that, a great sensor for that, you know, slow moving, you know, um, local driving conditions as well. Right. So I know some companies uh, operating trucks autonomously are just operating on the freeway because they think it, you know, it constrains the problem set. It's a little more simple and will allow them to get to market faster without having to solve for for driving in the, the more complicated city environment, as you note. Why did Too Simple decide to take on um, the city street driving. It, it sounds like you're you're not doing urban centers, but there is still uh, some city driving. Why did you decide to take that piece of it on as well? Well, you're right, 100. You know, my engineers hate when I say this, but you know, driving on the highway autonomously is much easier than you know in urban areas. But 
you know, and, and it is, uh, but to scale this technology, uh, we feel we need to solve the, the whole problem. You know, the logistics industry is one of the most, you know, you know, high volume, low margins, efficient industries you can get. You know, if they can squeeze a red, you know, a cent out of something, they'll, you know, they'll do it just because there's so much competition and scarcity. Um, the transfer hub model, which Mike and I, you know, respect our competitors, what they're trying to do, we feel is, is a disruptive and not in a good way. Um, you know, swapping trailers along and near the highway, there isn't necessarily an infrastructure that's built up for that. Um, and, and it just creates a problem for the logistics industry versus if you do the distribution center to the distribution center, it plugs right into their already existing, you know, infrastructure and networking. And, uh, you know, I, I try to explain to people, you know, since our vehicle does rely on mapping, it's kind of like we're creating the modern day railroad, you know, so if we can run, you know, Phoenix to, you know, El Paso, uh, distribution is distribution center. We did, we mapped that vehicle, kind of laid that, lays down the tracks and then our truck can run, you know, on those tracks over and over and over again. Right. And you're using a safety driver in your trucks at this point? Yeah, they're uh, CDL, so they're experienced truck drivers, but they also go through some training uh, ourselves. Um, so and we also have a safety engineer uh, riding the co-pilot as well. Great. So uh, last I read, I think you had 11 trucks, uh, but we're planning to ramp up this year. And uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your current operations. How many how many trucks are you running, and uh, what are the routes? Yeah, so we still have the 11 trucks. Uh, we're running a route... Um, uh, Phoenix, Tucson, and then back Tucson to Phoenix. And we also picked up a route uh, in Nogales as well, which if people are familiar uh, to Arizona, it's the uh, border town. And so obviously a lot of trucks come across the border uh, for, for different reasons. So that, that's exciting. Um, and that's uh, relatively close to us as well. And then, um, and then Aaron, I did mention again, we're, we're starting um, our new route uh, into Texas, El Paso. Um, you know, it actually should be, should be within the next few weeks. So those are kind of the, the areas that we're, that we're focusing on in and around the I-10 corridor. Right. So uh, roads in Arizona now and expanding to Texas. Um, any other states? Yeah, through, yeah don't, forget, don't forget our friend New Mexico. So we have to go through New Mexico to get to Texas. So. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, other than those three states, are there other states that you're planning to operate in? We have done routes uh, to Nevada. Uh, we're not currently doing them, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we start doing those again as well. So we are approved also to operate in, in Nevada as well. I see. Okay. And why did you pick these particular routes? Uh, just once the freight. I mean, the I-10 corridor is the second busiest freight corridor in the country, so there's just a lot of it. Uh, the you know, proximity to our uh, location in Tucson you know, we still have humans uh, behind the wheel that are constrained by hours of service and safety engineers, you know, that want us to go home every night, you know, to their families, which is understandable. So it's a, you know, it's a combination of a great freight market, um, you know, it's near our location. Uh, you know, the minus today, it's actually, it's snowing in Tucson today. It's uh, <laughs> relatively good weather. Um, very rare. My wife's from Tucson. She says it happens like every seven years that they get snow. And so we uh, are actually getting snow right now. 
Um, and, uh, and, it, and it's, you know, we're not the only company, most of the companies that are trying to do what we are doing are kind of focusing on the I-10. You know, it'll be a few years before you see us, you know, on I-90 and up in the Northeast and that kind of stuff. It's just the weather, the, you know, the freight, and, and it's just, you know, it's ideal for what we're trying to do. Yeah. So, um, just to be clear, so you are actually hauling freight for paying customers at this point? Yes, I should, sorry, I should have been more clear about that. Yeah, so they're, uh, they're real customers, they're shippers and their fleet. Uh, we're under NDA, unfortunately, but uh, they're all name brands that you would know and recognize. And, um, um, you know, they're companies that are uh, interested in the technology. Um, they want to, you know, see the, you know, you know, look around the corner and see the future on how uh, this technology could uh, help them move freight in and around uh, this country. And uh, so it's been a, a fun, uh, iterative process. Uh, you know, we're learning the transportation and as a tech company, we're learning the transportation industry and as a transportation companies are learning our industry. So it's a, it's a nice give and take that we have back and forth with our customers. And you mentioned uh, snow. Um, are there other operational design domain constraints for your trucks um, besides the, the routes? Uh, what are the weather constraints? Are, are you running at night? Like what are the other constraints? Yeah. So so we've solved uh, rain. That's that was a big one, and we've solved high winds and, and dust storms. Uh, we have not, I cannot say with uh, a confidence we have solved snow yet, considering this is the first day we've actually it's the second day it snowed <laughs> in Tucson this year. Um, but uh, uh, and then uh, we're working on night. Uh, we're not quite uh, there yet, um, but it, you know we're working on uh, night driving as well. Um, so. And how many trips are you running per day? Uh, those are it varies, but three to five a day. And uh, is it cheaper to uh, to ship with Too Simple at this point than other trucks? Are you, are you uh, charging uh, good <laughs> well, prices? Well, I, I tell people, I tell people we're making money. Um, uh, we're not quite profitable yet, you know, as most startups, but we are making revenue and. You know, all joking aside, and that it is it is a great way to test the technology because, you know, we get to sub, you know subsidize our our test miles, which a lot of the robo taxis can't do due to regulatory issues and and just humans in general don't like to be you know be charged for something that isn't very comfortable, you know that kind of thing. So boxes really don't care how they get there. So you know that that's that's one thing that's nice. So uh, we are we um, are charging a, a freight rate. You know, we have a Jay, Jay Lau, who's the director of our transportation. He manages all the negotiations. Um, some are some are a little less, but they're usually about what the what the freight market is right now. And I'm sure if you're following the freight news, the freight market is very competitive. You know, the driver shortage. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, American Trucking Association estimates it at 50,000 and, and growing. So it's uh, very competitive out there. If you have trucks, uh, it's a it's a it's a good business to be in right now. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about um, some of the policy issues. You mentioned a uh, shortage of, of truck drivers. Um, you know, there's been some opposition from the Teamsters and others around the question of autonomous trucking and the loss of jobs. You've got folks saying millions of jobs will be lost to automation. And then, you know, the trucking industry saying, look, there's actually a shortage and drivers are retiring. How, how should we be thinking about this this issue for autonomous trucking? Yeah, and, and, I, and we are very sensitive to what um, you know our, our trucking friends are, and 
we hire truckers and, and when they're at the trucking stop, truck stops and we go to the truck stops, we hear it from them as well. But it, it is, it is, you know, I'm very confident, you know, a young person going into trucking today will retire a trucker, but their job might be different and hopefully better. You know, the, what the problem we're trying to solve for the logistics industry is that long haul run, uh, which is incredibly difficult. You know, the long haul trucker has gone 11, 11 months out of the year. Um, and, and, and that's where the, the largest of the driver shortage is about 50,000. So we're trying to solve that segment. And, you know, and just to give you an example of, of, of what the industry is facing, three years ago, the average age of a trucker was 49, which was already high. And then Department of Labor last year came out with now the average age of the trucker is 55. So that is, and then every, every time we all click two day shipping, that further puts, you know, a, a strain on a system that is already strained. So, I mean, we could not make or build or deploy fast enough to get to the point where someone would lose their job. I'm not saying, you know, maybe through attrition, you know, through the years, but, you know, the fact that, you know, this is a job killer is a mistake. And, you know, this will create new jobs. I mean, just the unintended consequences of this, but just the folks that we're hiring and infrastructure that we have to build out from fleet monitoring to maintenance to the, the technical skills, um, you know, part of this as well. And uh, the logistics professionals. The, um, um, I, uh, the, like I mentioned already, the American Trucking Association estimates, but it's, it's, if you talk to the fleets, they have stuff that they can't move because they can't find a driver. And so that means they're not buying trucks, which means, you know, you know Peterbilt and Denton, Texas isn't building those trucks. So there's a whole ripple effect. And, you know, Goodyear than selling their tires, you know, all, you know the whole ripple effect is if you can, you know, right-size someone's fleet and using automation as one tool. And we're not trying to solve all the problems of the logistics industry. The, the most attractive, best jobs are the, you know, the local, local runs between in and around city centers that we can't do. And, that, you know, that way the trucker gets to go home every night. You know, they deliver, you know, to, to your stores. Uh, the customer service part that, you know, robots aren't very good at, you know, that the humans there to do it, you know, so it's a, we think it's a, it's a, it's a disruptive, but it's a positive disruption in an industry that really needs it. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about long haul trucking um, and uh, regulation kind of on a federal basis. How, how important is it for autonomous trucking to have some sort of federal approval for driving trucks without a, a human driver on board. Yes, uh, I mean we 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 love our state partners of Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas and Nevada. But you know to really you know scale this technology, we do need a, a fifty state you know solution. And uh, you know for the for a little while we were pretty nervous there because uh, for for those who follow the regulatory you know environment, uh, trucks were left out of AV two point and then trucks were carved out of the, the two bills uh, on the House and the Senate last year. Granted, those two bills didn't pass, but it made everyone quite nervous. And then um, uh, AV 3.0 came out and completely changed the entire space for automated trucks. So FMCSA, which is our regulatory authority over trucks, um, took the interpretation, and um, I don't want, uh, folks are happy to go to the DOT website and look at it, but basically the interpretation that uh, ADS, the automated driving system, as they call it, um, would be, re- you know, be considered a driver going forward. And all the human, you know, requirements of the FMTSA is like drug testing and hours of service 
would no longer apply, which was a huge game changer. That's the idea that, you know, that's where you get the real great utilization of a, instead of a, a truck driver being only able to drive 11, you know, to 13 hours a day, the trucks could drive 20 hours a day. And then also they, in the same, in the same document, they asserted their, you know, their federal role for, you know, safety and regulating trucks that, you know, that, you know, it, it's their, you know, they are, they are the final say. And obviously leave states still up to, you know, licensing and enforcement. So obviously if our, you know, truck violates a traffic law like anyone else, they can enforce it. But to actually, you know, regulate it from the technology space, from the safety space, it was a huge signal to the market that um, the DOT is, is, is looking for a 50 state solution uh, for automated trucks. Right. So l- let's unpack that just a little bit. Um, so yeah. trucks are, they're regulated uh, with respect to the equipment by NHTSA. And then you've got these yeah. other regulations from the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration that you mentioned as to carrier operations. So you have a couple of regulators and I think what you're saying, you know, is the AV guidance 3.0 that the Department of Transportation put out had this kind of helpful language. Is that considered um, an agency interpretation of existing regulation? Yes. So they they believe that they have uh, currently they have the regulatory authority to regulate this technology and uh, they do not need congressional approval for trucks. You know, one key reason is that. Um, as a company and as an industry, uh, we're, you know, we're not asking to remove um, gas pedals and steering wheels. Our trucks need to inter- be able to interact with human drivers for the foreseeable future. And so there's no major change you know, to the truck. Um, there's you know, long precedent of trucks being able to add safety-related uh, equipment, you know, from, you know uh, from braking to automatic braking systems to even now with mirrorless trucks. You know, and, and FMCSA's interpretation that the automation is, is another step forward for safety, so that they believe they have the you know the authority to regulate this without congressional approval. So, in I mean, regardless of everyone's opinion of Congress, you know, getting something through Congress right now is, is very difficult, regardless of the issue. And so, it, it turned a you know several year problem into a few year problem. You know, um, going through the rulemaking process rather rather than the legislative process. So. You don't need, as an industry, uh, any new bills in Congress in order to uh, have autonomous trucking be legal nationwide in this country. Correct. I mean, uh, I'm actually going to a trip to D.C. next week, and so I'm meeting with obviously many members of Congress, and I want we will keep them updated and keep them informed. And you know, if Congress would like to hold a hearing or anything like that, you know, we're completely supportive of the, of them. But you know, from a from a from a regulatory perspective of a rulemaking process, yeah, DOT feels that they have the full authority to do that. And now that you have these interpretations from the FMCSA about being willing to consider a, an autonomous driving system uh, as the driver and not require a human to be the driver, um, what else do you need? in terms of formal regulations, either from NHTSA or from FMCSA, to make autonomous trucking uh, allowed uh, on a nationwide basis? Uh, it, it, it does need to go through the formal rulemaking process. And um, it was supposed to be out about probably early this year, but uh, due to the government shutdown, that got delayed. 
Uh, it should be out um, hopefully within the next few weeks, uh, where that process will begin in earnest. And then, you know, that's, you know, and then everything. So everything I want to, uh, you know, for your audience, it's not a done deal. You know, it's it's it's, you know, AV 3.0 is not binding um, in any, in any ways, but it is a solid interpretation. And then, you know, going forward through the rulemaking process, um, that's where you know the the, the quote unquote sausage is made. So. I'm sorry, you said it should be out, meaning uh, a notice of rulemaking? or Yes, yes. That should be out. I've been told, uh, hopefully, I'm told an exact date, but it should be coming out uh, relatively soon. And what would you expect the scope of, of the rulemaking to be at this point? Uh, right now, it's, uh, I don't want to speak to them. I'm not quite sure. I'd like to take a look before I let the audience know, but I'm happy to come. Happy to come back once it's out. You know, to, to give uh, our interpretation. You know, but we're cautiously optimistic. You know, especially after AV 3.0. So um, we'll we'll see uh, when it actually comes out formally. And what about equipment regulation? You mentioned that um, you're not looking to take steering wheels out of trucks. So. Um, it doesn't sound like you need exemptions from uh, NHTSA in that regard. I have heard some discussion about things like mirrors. Um, what relief does the industry need for autonomous trucking on the equipment side? Is there is there anything in particular that you're looking for there? Uh, not at this moment. Not not to say that that in the future we won't you know have to use you know the current exemption process. Um, you know, to get something cleared. But uh, as of now, um, we're okay because for us, we embedded the LIDARs into our mirror units, you know, so, to, you know, you're not changing, you know, the, the architecture of the truck. Um, our cameras are, in, um, you know, right above the, you know, the sun visor, you know, in, into the housing of the truck, you know. So, but, you know, as, as engineering does, event, you know, evolve and stuff like that, you know, we could potentially ask for an exemption going forward. But right now, um, we are, it's not needed. So with respect to a federal regulatory framework, um, you know, sometimes the regulatory process can be several years to to get things in place. Uh, if you don't have federal authorization and you're left kind of with a, a patchwork of, of state rules, how can the industry best manage that approach? Are you looking to string together a path of states across the country or <laughs> how, does, how does it work? I mean, we, we, well, luckily we're, we're fortunate. I-10 is actually a very friendly corridor to the technology. Uh, I mean, Cal, we're still waiting on California. I mean, California has passed the law. You know, the governor signed it. Uh, California DMV has yet to, to draft the regulations for heavy-duty trucks, for automated heavy-duty trucks. But it's, you know, we, at least we're confident, in, you know, the law has passed. It's just a matter of time for them to write it. Uh, and then obviously Arizona is, is an amazing partner, New Mexico, Texas, Florida. Um, and so, you know, we'll, you know, we're working on other states you know, that connect those, you know, Louisiana, you know, through Alabama, all throughout through the South to, to make sure, you know, that and, and we're all still in the testing phase, you know, so. Uh, if the if it takes a few years, I think that will align, you know, okay with our you know our validation and, and um, fleet, you know, because we have to not only um, validate the fleet for ourselves, but you know all the folks that we touch, you know, the tier ones that make up the ecosystem of the truck and the OEs, everyone's going to need to give that, you know, um, Chuck Price jokes around is going to be like NASA back in the old days, you know, they're going to go around the table and ask for a thumbs up from every single, <laughs> you know, person before, you know, that, that, that you know, you can buy a, you know, a Peterbilt, with a, we'll call it the autonomous too simple package, you know, um, you know, not to say that we couldn't retrofit, 
and you know do a, a driverless you know route in the relative near, near future. But to scale and to build this technology through the OEs, which you know we feel you really need to do, we're also going to need to get all those parties on, on board. You know we've had Cummins come out publicly, but you know we're working with all the tier ones. But you know we're and hopefully you know in the over the next uh, year to long term future, you know we'll get all those partners uh, on board and uh, to allow uh, this technology to deploy commercially. Yeah. So, you know, that that raises a good point about how do you get from from testing to being comfortable, for instance, taking the driver out of the truck. Um, We don't currently have federal motor vehicle safety standards for the autonomous technology. uh, So there's nothing to really self-certify against. Um, Assuming that continues for some number of years, how do you think... Uh, trucking companies should approach safety to get comfortable that their products are ready for public roads and then ready to to operate without a driver. Um, I think the industry as a whole, um, you, know, it, you know, like with the case in Arizona, right? And the, that if you do want to pull that driver out, they took all those voluntary, you know, voluntary uh, uh, things that the feds let out and made made it mandatory. You know, and that's what I'm, I'm, I'm sure my friends at Waymo are working on. And that's what we're shooting for, you know, the, from, from law enforcement interaction plan to minimal risk condition um, to basically hit all those benchmarks um, that, are, that are volunteer. We need to hit them all um, to, to make this technology work. Um, so we're treating them as mandatory. Um, so that so, you know, looking at and then that way is key. Um, and 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 do and, you know, Secretary Chavez has spoke, spoken to this so that. You know, as a whole industry, we need to do a better job educating the American public, being more transparent, um, and that's something we've taken to heart. Uh, we've we've provided uh, media uh, ride-alongs um, from Wired and TechCrunch and a few others that are going to be coming on. Um, so, you know, as an industry, you know, I, I, I kind of joke around, but it is true. People like my mom and dad are you know, very skeptical of the, of the automated truck rolling down the highway, you know, and so we need to to help change that public opinion and help change the, you know, the fear around it and, and let people understand the, the safety benefits and just the benefits overall to the economy and, and, and even the environment. Uh, so it, that's something even as an industry whole and that we're working on. And given the nature of my position, I actually work pretty closely with our competitors, um, not from like a business or antitrust, but just from a, you know, government regulations and, and public affairs on how to articulate, um, you know, the autonomous trucking um, talking points and, 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 and get those uh, key points across to the, the motoring public. Right. And so does Too Simple plan to put out a voluntary safety self-assessment report? Yes. It's, uh, it's uh, funny. It's, uh, we're almost at our final draft. So uh, with uh, AV 3.0, uh, you know, we were like, we were definitely encouraged to do it. Um, you know, being out of AV 2.0, it was kind of like we didn't quite know what to do. <laughs> so with AV3, being included in AV 3.0, um, we are about uh, ready to um, publish that as well um, yeah, in a first step. So Jeff, uh, thank you for reminding me that. Yeah. Great. We'll, we'll look for that. Um, and then yeah. are there other statistics or reports such as disengagements or other metrics that you think would be helpful for regulators or the public to know? Uh, the, the disengagement report, uh, I feel this one through California definitely needs some editing. Uh, I don't think it does a, a fair job in, 
engaging um, a company. One being that, you know, when you're testing a fleet, you want disengagements. You want, um, you know, to test your tr- uh, fleet uh, of whatever it is, trucks or, or passenger cars, and, and, and therefore incentivizing companies to, um, you know, basically it can almost be as like a negative PR tool, I, I don't think is as important. But, um, you know, something that we're interested in and we're talking to is uh, kind of going back to what Secretary Chab looked up to, um, to be a little more open and transparent is bring in a third party, um, you know, auditing firm to validate uh, our miles um, and the, you know, other folks in this space's miles too, because it's, there's a lot of ambiguity and definitions, you know, depending on which company you talk to, you know, what's their um, definition of disengagement versus another definition of disengagement. And so I, so I think having a, you know, clear vocabulary and definitions around things, and then also having a third party, come in and audit um, would be a valuable tool you know, for the whole industry. And that's something too simple is very interested in being a part of. Interesting. Great. So um, too simple recently raised a, a series D round. I think it was 95 million. Um, how many employees do you have and what does the next year or two look like for you in terms of goals and growth? Yeah. So we're around uh, 400 employees uh, currently. So we'll be growing that number as well, along with our number of trucks. Uh, we hope to have a, a fleet of 40 autonomous uh, heavy-duty trucks on the road by June this year, um, increasing capacity for those customers I mentioned, and um, uh, you know, proving out the technology. It's it's, it's going to be I joke around. It's going to be the year of too simple. You know, so we've it's going to be uh, um, folks that you know our visibility has risen obviously due to the the news and kind of where we are from a transparency perspective, being able to offer, you know, rides and film, you know, actual routes. And then, you know, so it's, it's, it's our year to kind of not to be too clever, but to deliver on all of our promises, you know, that we've made. So it's very exciting. Um, and uh, we're thrilled to expand into New Mexico and Texas and should be, uh, should be a lot of fun this year. And then looking ahead, um, you know, 10 years, assuming the company succeeds in, in all of its goals, from a business model perspective, what would Too Simple look like at that point? Would you be d- dispatching trucks to haul freight or just selling technology and sensor systems to truck manufacturers? H- how do you see the business model evolving over time? Yeah, uh, like I said, once you reach that OEM adaptation and, and, and uh, as you, you, know, joke around, you own a fleet of trucks, and you order, you know, a thousand uh, new Peterbilt, the two simple package. That's where we would get into, you know, um, our software, and that's where I think it scales. But you know, phase one where we're at now is our is our is our fleet of autonomous trucks that are you know generating revenue. And once we get to phase two, that will, uh, we'll be excited. But you know, we got to first solve phase one. <laughs> Great. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and talk about Too Simple. Uh, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Uh, you're doing a service <laughs> to us as an industry to help get the, get the messaging out to everyone. And, and thank you. It was, really, it was really fun talking to you, Michelle. Great. Take care. Thanks again to Robert for joining us. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. As always, the show notes for this episode and all of our episodes can be found on our Smarter Cars publication at medium.com. 
Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.